Welcome back to our next edition of the ACC Takeover Podcast. I am Dan Siegel, joined as always by my co-host, Ben Anderson. We have a lot of topics to get to today in both ACC men's basketball and ACC football. We are here recording on a snowy, or at least here in Massachusetts, a snowy Sunday. Yeah, we're getting a lot of snow today, I guess. Not down there in Virginia for you, but... Yeah, we, we've got a lot to get to today, but first off, Ben, just wanted to know, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, you know, final season moving through, but thank, thankfully I don't have to deal with any any bad weather like you might have up in Amherst. I'm doing well, can't wait to talk about some hoops and some football. Yeah, so yeah, we'll, we'll get to basketball, just some, some of the major storylines, because we're going to talk about basically everything that's happened from the season start to date we're just kind of going to kind of summarize that because we've been so football centric so far but we're not just going to recap the last week because there's a lot that's happened over the past i guess the first month of college basketball in the acc so we're going to talk about that we're going to maybe make a bold prediction for the future of acc basketball for football we have you know we have a, our all the bowl games selected we'll talk about the Fenway Bowl, which is coming up in less than a week now between Louisville and Cincinnati. A lot of drama relating to the coaching carousel there. We'll get into the coaching carousel, some transfer portal stuff. So we got a jam-packed episode today. But like I said, we're going to start with basketball. And I think the first thing when I think ACC basketball 2022 to 2023 is just how rough the start has been for – the conference do not disrespect the winner of the acc big 10 basketball challenge like that but in all seriousness yeah it wasn't a great wasn't a great start to the conference especially in the non-conference let's let's run through a couple a few teams right here bellarmine tarleton state maine st bonaventure loyal marymount sienna stetson all beat ACC caliber teams. And no, I did not just pick from Louisville and Florida State. There are other teams that are in there as well. But really, a lot of losses. The top of the conference, you've had some a couple of surprises, but overall, I think it's a little bit less strong than people anticipated, even with Virginia having a good start to the season. Dan, this isn't exactly what you want to see, and it's sort of been a trend over the past few years in the league. You say it's been a little bit less strong. Let me, let me spit out a stat for you. So a lot of people like Ken Palm. I use Torvik because it basically has the same features as Ken Palm and it's free. So I, I also like the model a little bit better, but it's basically the same concept, same type of analytics. So according to Bart Torvik, the ACC is the seventh best conference in college basketball. So not the worst of the power six, the mountain West is also statistically better than the ACC up to date. And I mean, yeah, like the Mountain West has a couple of undefeated teams. They're doing, but like that, the ACC not only is part of the Power Six, they're supposed to be a premier part of the Power Six, like a top two, three, even one at some points conference in college basketball. Boy, have the mighty fallen. This is not good. Yeah. And when a couple of your historically good to great programs are struggling in the ways that they've struggled, in the past couple of years, but especially this year with Louisville, with Florida State, even Syracuse, who is going on a couple, a little bit of a winning streak right here. Syracuse has losses to Colgate and Bryant, 
they're not doing super hot up in upstate New York either. When you lose those brands that you've relied on over the past in the in the past in their history, it gets really tough to have a league of the same caliber as what you expect from the ACC. Yeah, exactly. And you talk about it like it's not just Louisville and Florida State, but I just want to get into Louisville and Florida State for a second because they've been just like historically bad, especially Louisville. I mean, they're 0-9. You said it on our uh, TakeOver Sports Network TikTok, which, by the way, follow us. We'll leave that link in the description. Louisville is 0-9. If they don't beat Florida A&M next game, they might not win it. Or when when they play them, they might not win another game. Like they yeah, no. at all. Look, they're 0-9. Let's, let's separate Florida State really quickly because they've struggled with injuries. They haven't had a full roster all season, especially with Bob Miller getting suspended for the first 16 games. They've still been super bad. Don't get me wrong. Like this is not, they should not be two and nine, but Louisville is on a different level in terms of, of struggle. Louisville's had their entire roster basically all year and just, they can't get anything done. Do they win four games this year? I don't know. Like who would they, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. That and the, the only reason they would win four games, it, it would just be a testament to how bad the rest of the ACC is. But even Florida State, who's very clearly the second worst team in the ACC, they how much did they beat Louisville they by? Beat by twenty two. Twenty two, yeah. Like they haven't. Louisville's Louisville's lost all of their games by like fifteen. Like these aren't close games like they were in the beginning of the season. At least in the beginning, they were losing them on buzzer beaters or you know miss layups at the at, <laughs> at the final horn or things like that, right? But now they're just getting crushed. I don't know what's going on in the Yum Center. And another team that really hasn't been such smooth sailing for, obviously they haven't been nearly as bad as some of the teams we just mentioned, but they were preseason number one. That's the North Carolina Tar Heels. Finally snapped a four-game losing streak with a win over Georgia Tech, but now the Tar Heels are 6-4 and four with, I mean, can I say Georgia Tech is their best win? Maybe Charleston? Charleston's pretty good this year. Charleston. Like, Maybe Charleston, but yeah. No, that's that still proves your point. Yeah. Like there I don't know what the issue is there. I think it's just that they're not playing complimentary basketball. Like they're they're just they don't seem like the really well coached Hubert Davis team that we saw last year. I think Caleb Love is kind of looking more like freshman year Caleb Love rather than breakout sophomore year or the end of sophomore year Caleb Love. I mean, he's averaging 18 points per game. But he's also shooting 40% from the field. So that's an absurd amount of field goal attempts that he's taking every single game. Some of the advanced analytics there, 303rd in the country in spacing, 314th in the country in passing, meaning lots of just ISOs and just not sharing the ball. I know they have a lot of talent, but that they, they have to figure things out. And that gives me a little bit of hope because they've been the, – the way they've been doing things – they could fix it, but it just hasn't been good so far. Yeah, I think there are a couple of issues with this year's Carolina team. First of all, they're shooting sub 30% from three-point territory. And as UVA fans, we know how hard it is to win when you can't space the floor in that manner. I also think that a lot of these players are sort of one-dimensional, right? Caleb Love and RJ Davis aren't really known for their defense like they're they're basically offensive players and then leaky black doesn't bring you much on the offensive end even though he's a great defender and it's hard to 
it's hard to win when you don't have like well-rounded players. And when you combine that all with the iron five, like they don't really have a bench right now to, to speak of. And that's not new in North Carolina, but it's more pronounced when you're not as successful as you have been in recent years. It's just, I think it's just a culmination of things. I do think they eventually get it figured out probably, but they're not the number one team. They probably shouldn't have been the number one team past the second week of the year. Brady Manic looks to be a bigger loss than people may have imagined, and that's how it is. It, it happens sometimes. Yeah, that that is true. Like, even if they figure out their ceiling, I think they're like, I don't know, maybe the tenth best team in the country. Like at yeah. their ceiling, if they figure everything out, everything starts clicking. They're like ten, twelve. I don't know. But let's look on the bright side of things because look, we've been so negative so far, and I think for good reason. The ACC is not really showing much in the first several weeks of the season. But UVA is undefeated. They are among three undefeated teams in the country that have multiple, like, real quality good wins. So three teams that you could arguably put number one in the country, which will come out Monday at Monday in the afternoon, the AP poll. So it's Virginia, UConn, and Purdue. I mean, I think you could rank any three of them in any order you want. But my point is – UVA has been among the top three teams in the country, at least in terms of resume speaking. They have struggled to score a little bit lately without a healthy Reese Beekman, but look at what they did before that. They put up 86 on Baylor, 89 on Monmouth. I mean, this this offense, when the lights are on, like when they could turn it up, they could really shoot the ball really well. Caden Shedrick has really improved. I mean, this is – Look, this team has a lot to improve on for sure, but it's definitely a bright spot in the conference that I want to touch on. Yeah, absolutely. Even the most optimistic fans of the Cavaliers really wouldn't probably have predicted this level of start, especially with the wins against Baylor and Illinois, which look to be really good teams. I know they lost a couple of games, but they're still top 25 caliber, undoubtedly. Reese Beekman taking the jump he has has really made this team so much more successful and you mentioned Shedrick the advanced stats love Shedrick as a player as like a valuable piece and then the addition of Ben Vanderplas as well as that sixth man that can stretch the floor I think has been a really important addition as addition there too they've proven that they can play small at the five with him and Gardner out at the same time to give Shedrick a breather I think that was important as well just to give him a little bit more flexibility roster wise they have struggled a little bit they they sort of cooled off from three uh, as we saw in the barrage that they had in their first few games. Now it's a little bit back to normal, but still a really good team, still the best team in the ACC, I think pretty clearly at this point. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's clear that Virginia is your number one. I think we have our top five, not necessarily in order, but we have like the, the five that would be in the top five of the ACC pretty clearly. And I think those teams are Virginia, Duke, Virginia Tech, Miami, and then probably North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wanted I to talk – you agree with that too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about the middle of the pack. I want, I'm going to list off a couple of teams. I want you to tell me, would you buy or sell these teams? Not necessarily like are they making the tournament because I don't know if the ACC is getting more than five bids. Like that would – even if they get five at this point. But just do you think they sustain a solid level of success – keep themselves among like the top six, seven of the conference 
or do you think they kind of fade off a little bit? So we're going to start with North Carolina State, who currently is eight and three. Buy or sell? I'm going to go ahead and buy them. I do like I'm wary of the Wolfpack given their history with under Kevin Keats, but I do think the talent is there. I really like Jarkel Joyner and Terquavion Smith. Honestly, hasn't been that first round level talent that we might have thought. He hasn't like shown like wowed everyone that that's watched him. So if he gets going and gets on a heater, I really like them to win a lot of games in the ACC, not necessarily beat the top five level teams that we just talked about, but really establish themselves as six, three, eight. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit more hesitant because Kevin Keats has fooled me many times before into having a very good start in the beginning of the season. Remember they did just lose to, they just lost to Miami. That's fine. But they also lost to Pitt. but this is definitely like looking like one of the better NC State teams in recent years. How about Notre Dame by yourself? It's hard because they don't have Marcus Hammond, and I think they were pretty they were pretty reliant on him being the seventh man in this rotation. They've basically only played with six. I'm gonna go ahead and buy them. I like Mike Bray. I think it's it really me saying buying a lot of these teams is a function of the rest of the ACC being so bad that by default they are going to be like the sixth or seventh best team in the conference. So I don't necessarily love Notre Dame, but I think the talent is there for them to be successful and win a few games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they 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 had a really good blowout win over Michigan State. Uh, they have lots of experience, lots of ability to space and shoot. And JJ Starling, true freshman, only going to get better. So I'm with you on that one. How about Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, buy or sell? I'm going to sell them. I just don't think I, – I mentioned this in the preseason. They don't have a Londis Williams and they don't have a Jake LaRavia. Tyree Appleby is good, but they don't have that level of talent. And I just don't think it's a very well-constructed roster to win in the ACC. That's all. Yeah, I, I don't think they they win the game. Like I think they'll win the games they should, but I just don't think they'll win enough to be, even get to the point where they were last year, which they didn't even make the tournament. So I'm with you there. How about Clemson Tigers? This will be the last one I ask. Buy or sell? No, I'm selling. I'm selling Clemson so hard. I don't. I it just nothing is different about this team than the last five years of Brad Brownell's Clemson teams. I don't know. There, nothing. I never, I'm never going to bat for the Tigers, and I think they proved it last night with a blowout loss against Loyola Chicago. Yeah. I, I was actually set to buy them until they had that blowout loss to Loyola Chicago because I actually have been a little bit impressed with their offense before that, more so than I thought that I would be this season. But then they, yeah, they lost to Loyola Chicago pretty bad. Loyola Chicago has not been off to a good start this season. They're not your typical Loyola Chicago team. They got blown out. That's mm-hmm. bad. So, I guess – We've kind of touched on a lot of what has happened in the first month of the ACC, but let's get into this next week. So we're we're going to record again next our full episode next um, Sunday. So and over the next seven days, it looks like Saturday is really the most loaded spot in terms of ACC games in the next week. But which games are you most looking forward to? I guess. You know, I'm, I'm not even going to ask that question. Let's just start with Houston at UVA because that's just the probably the game of the week in the entire country. One, probably one of the best games of the entire year, at least in terms of ranking. Houston's coming off of a loss to Alabama, so they'll drop a little bit out of the top three. As, as I think, yeah, they're number one right now. But this will really test UVA physically. 
And I don't know. It, I think it's about, first off, the health of Reese Beekman, but also we'll see. I could see them winning comfortably if they could if they could shoot the way they did against Baylor, but I could also see them getting dominated physically in, you know, Kane Shedrick. I feel like he, the way he just like jumps around to try to block every shot. I feel like Houston could exploit that. They've, they've been getting out rebounded by some smaller teams. So that's what worries me against Houston. I agree. I think that Houston is a bad matchup for UVA specifically whether or not Reese Beekman plays because of the inside presence that the Cougars have. UVA struggled with offensive rebounding all season, really, and that's what Houston does. That's Houston gets those second-chance points and puts them back up, and that's how you get up 10-15 on Alabama, right? Even though they lost that game, Houston showed me a lot, I think, that they are still a very talented, very dangerous team. If Reese Beekman is healthy, I like this game to be close. I think Houston's still going to win. I think this is where UVA picks up their first loss. But if Reese Beekman's not playing, I take the Cougars all day. Yeah. I, I don't know what the projected spread is. Probably at UVA, what would you say? Like somewhere in between Houston minus one and UVA minus one. I think it's very close to a pick em, honestly. Yeah. I think it's I think it's probably going to be like Houston minus one. That would be my guess, but I'm okay. not confident. How about we have North Carolina and Ohio State? That's a neutral site. I think this will also be a very similar test for North Carolina and the way Houston is to UVA in that North uh, Ohio State, I'm sorry, is a very physical team. But this is really a must-win game for UNC, in my opinion. Yeah, this is how you get back on track. North Carolina has Ohio State, and then they play Michigan right after, so they get the two rivals back-to-back. They have to go one-and-one at least in those two stretches, especially – um, against a Buckeyes team that isn't like they're good, but they're not great. I think they're like top 15, top 20 ish, but they're not a, a title contender. So if really North Carolina wants to bounce back, they have to make this game at least competitive, prefer, preferably win it. And I mean, is there anything else you want to touch on? I guess, I don't know. I'm looking at the slate and there's not really much besides those two headliners. Wake Forest at Rutgers could be semi-interesting. North Notre Dame at Georgia could be semi-interesting. Like anything I'm missing here? I'm a little bit interested in Clemson and Richmond, uh, just for the fact that Richmond destroyed Drake yesterday, and Drake's a pretty good, pretty good team there. I think that if the Spiders go ahead and beat the Tigers at home, I think it's going to not <laughs> spell great things for. The Clemson program going into conference play. That's the only reason I'd be interested in it, just for a little upset alert. Yeah. But Richmond also just has not been very good at all this yeah. year. So, and like, you, you sold on Clemson. I don't, I don't know how much intrigue there is there, but we're going to get into football. But before that, before we get into football, just we're looking at the rest of the year because we summarized the last month. So, if we're looking, we're looking at a zoomed out picture again. How about? Just one bold prediction will each go that you have from, I guess, from now until the rest of the season. All right. I don't know how bold this will be, really, but I think that Virginia Tech will finish second in the ACC this year. That is, I like Virginia Tech as a really good regular season team. 
I don't know how high their ceiling is. We talk about guards winning in March, things like that. I don't know. I wouldn't pick them to go necessarily go super far in the NCAA tournament, but they are a team that I think everyone is going to absolutely not want to play on a Tuesday night at like 9 p.m. in February. I think they're going to win a ton of games in the regular season, especially in the conference. They're going to pick off Duke and North Carolina and maybe even Virginia enough to make that top two run. They're definitely finishing with a double bye, in my opinion, in the top four, but I think they're going to finish second in the league. Ben, we did not collaborate on this at all whatsoever before the podcast, just, just telling the listeners that. But that is my exact bold prediction, actually. I said the top two – This is, I phrased it slightly differently, but I said the top two seeds in the ACC are not going to be from the state of North Carolina, but from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Like I said, UVA number one, not a bold take. But I think Virginia Tech will also be number two. I think what they're doing is sustainable. They play solid defense, and they're shooting at a decent rate from three. But, man, just their presence in the post has been quite incredible. Like, not just, oh, it's it's okay. Like, they, they lost Kevin Aluma. They're, they're holding their own. Like, they've been dominant in the post. Grant Basile and Justin Mutz in particular, yeah. like, Justin Mutz has been incredible. He's he's a first team All ACC in my opinion. Yeah. At this point, so uh, that's that's I funny hope, because yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I will say that I don't necessarily agree with your entire statement because I do. I am imagining a world where Duke ends up like the freshman click with Duke, Whitehead and Lively suddenly figure it out and they go on a tear and they finish number one overall. So I'm not necessarily like writing Virginia to be number one in stone, but I do think Virginia Tech finishes two no matter what. Okay, interesting. All right. Yeah, I mean, Derek Live. yeah, he's not been nearly no. what we thought he would be. Like, not even close. I, it's kind of unprecedented territory for a freshman at the class rating that he was to struggle this much, but – he clearly has the talent. He was rated as high as he was for a reason. So Absolutely. I think the way for Duke, the only way for Duke to go is up for sure. But um, anything else on the basketball segment before we transition into football? No, I'm just looking forward to getting into conference play and finally figuring out who's actually in which tier in the league. For sure. Okay, so let's get into – ACC football, because we are done with the regular season, so we had our previews and recaps all throughout the year, but now it's bowl season, it's coaching carousel time, it's transfer portal time. I mean, this is the fun stuff. There, There's no real offseason in college football anymore. There's stuff going on every single month of the year. So we we sat this past Sunday a week ago, and we got all the different bowl matchups in the ACC. I'm going to ask you of all these games just quickly, which one are you looking forward to the most? So I'm going to cheat a little and give you a bold date instead of a specific bowl game, because I think December 28th is going to be a very enjoyable day for ACC fans. I think you got two good games on the docket. First, we have UCF and Duke. Duke can get to nine wins in Mike Elko's first year if they beat a pretty good UCF team. I'm really excited to see that game. I think it's going to be a high-powered scoring a fair. I think it will just be a fun game to watch overall. I like both of those offenses. And then we have Oregon and UNC as well. I'm very intrigued to see how the Tar Heels respond to Phil Longo leaving for Wisconsin. We're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes, but 
that's going to be another interesting game regardless. Drake May is really good. Bo Nix is really good. Battle of two really good quarterbacks. I think, yeah, so, so you didn't touch on Tennessee Clemson because that's the Orange Bowl. That seems like the obvious answer because in terms of ranking, those are the two highest. But, you know, I'm actually going to say Duke-UCF in the Military Bowl is the bowl game I'm looking forward to the most. You know, it's it's a, it's a weird statement to say, but I think it just goes to show how the perception of bowl season has changed so much with all the opt-outs and the coaching changes and people going into the transfer portal. Like, it's not the same as it used to be, but I think this Duke-UCF game does fit your old bowl like like you like your the oh the way bowls used to be in that both teams I think care about this game a lot especially on the Duke side I mean I would argue Duke cares more about their bowl game than anybody else in the conference especially considering nobody in the ACC is in the college football playoff Riley Leonard will be playing for Duke at quarterback I think John Reese Plumley will be back for UCF I'm not positive on that. No coaching changes on either side. And this is a big opportunity for Duke to beat an established name in the college football world, which are actually favorites against. So we'll preview that more in depth next week, probably. But I'm going to say Duke UCF is like unironically the prize spot, I feel like. Yeah, I promise you, we're not joking here. We're not joking. <laughs> like, I'm actually excited to watch that game. I am. And I just laid out why, like it's, they, they really care about it. And if they care about it, I care about it. So that that's really what I'm looking at. But um, I want to get into some of the coaching carousel changes just around. I mean, we'll, we'll get, we'll get mostly into the ACC, but the coaches are just jumbling around everywhere all around the different conferences. So we'll, I'll just, we'll kind of, get into kind of everywhere in the sport, but just the way that we we talk about transfer portal and the way that players are just bouncing around like crazy. Coaches are bouncing around like crazy as well, making seemingly lateral moves. There's one head coaching change in the ACC that I wanted to touch on, but we're going to get to that last only because it'll be a perfect transition into the bowl game that we'll talk about that's upcoming. But let's get some of the coordinators real quick. You touched on it, Ben, a couple minutes ago. Phil Longo, UNC offensive coordinator, headed to Wisconsin. I think this is a bad thing for UNC for sure. Longo got a lot of hate, I don't know why, from UNC fans, but his production for UNC offenses speak for themselves. Top 25 in offensive efficiency each of the last three seasons with two different quarterbacks. And this will be tough for UNC to replace. Now they do bring back Drake May. That is huge. He already said he's coming back. That's much bigger than Phil Longo will be. But it's definitely hurtful for UNC. They need to find a viable replacement. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of blown away when I heard the news that Phil Longo was going to Wisconsin out of all places because if you're the Badgers, this is not the offense that you're used to. Um, Really, it's marking a huge change, I think, for Wisconsin. So I'm very interested to – to see how that works out. But as far as North Carolina goes, I'm also intrigued to see what Drake May looks like in an offense that might not be as quarterback friendly as Longo's was. Just to see, you know, was how what are the stats looking like, right? He had an amazing season, don't get me wrong. He trailed off 
at the end of the year, but it might be good to see what he can do in a different, maybe more pro style uh, affair. Just really looking forward to seeing what that looks like. And then to some just amazing, some amazing like circumstance happened. Tim Beck, offensive coordinator for North Carolina State, is hired to be the head coach at Coastal Carolina. What is Coastal Carolina thinking? I don't know. But that's not what we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about the fact that NC State, in my opinion, really upgraded an offensive coordinator because they then take Robert and I from Syracuse. And Brendan Armstrong might be coming with Robert and I. Yeah, really, um, I think a good move for the Wolfpack. Anai has proven that he can make an offense score 30 points a game, right? He might not do it in the most flattering way or the most he, – he might be a little bit frustrating at times, but gosh darn it, his offenses are going to score some points, right? So if you, if you ask what you're looking for, if you're NC State, that's a good sign. I am interested to see what Armstrong ends up doing because I think the Wolfpack have a choice here. Do they go with Armstrong or do they push all their chips in on MJ Morris, right? Who I think would be a really good fit in, in a nice offense, actually. So, um, you know, we'll see if they give him one more year. He is only a true freshman. So I'm just interested to see how this goes. And yeah, Anaya was a good hire by NC State, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you can't have too many quarterbacks in college football. I think competition could only be a good thing. And we saw what Brendan Armstrong did with Robert and I in 2021. So if it's anywhere close to that, then that's a huge victory for NC State. But as far as the Syracuse side goes with, with this circumstance, I mean, they so they lose Robert and I, their offensive coordinator. They also lose their defensive coordinator, Tony White to Nebraska. So I, Tony White was the better of the two. He, he, he was incredible. It was just a matter of time, I felt like, before somebody – took him and now Syracuse loses both coordinators boy I mean just look at the Syracuse program we were talking about three months ago and I'm not, probably not even three months ago they're six and oh everything's looking really good and then they lose five of their last six and lose both coordinators now it's looking back to typical Syracuse football Dino Babers yeah tough way to go for Babers especially starting out imagine being six and oh and then yeah, three months later, like you said, you're out both your coordinators, you're six or you're seven and five, and you're just having a terrible time, honestly, overall. I will say though that promoting Jason Beck to offensive coordinator for the Orange was the right move. He should he's I think been qualified to be a coordinator for a while now. He moved over with an eye from Virginia. He's sort of been tied to an eye for a long time here, but I think he'll end up making a good replacement overall. Yeah, it's the situation with Beck and I was kind of unique because Beck was actually the quarterback coach for Robert and I, the offensive coordinator. In most cases, the offensive coordinator also functions as the quarterback coach. So all the quarterback production that Robert and I offenses have had, you could almost argue Jason Beck is more responsible for, or at least in at least significant portion responsible for. So that that's definitely the right move for Syracuse, but overall just a tough couple of days for orange fans. And then we got the headliner of the coaching carousel. So this seems like a series of just seem like lateral moves. First off, 
Scott Satterfield. Yeah. All right. So let's back up even more. Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati, goes to Wisconsin. And then Scott Satterfield leaves Louisville, goes to Cincinnati. So opening now at Louisville and who takes that? It's Jeff Brom from Purdue who goes to Louisville. And as I mentioned in my TikTok, which by the way, once again, follow us on the TakeOver Sports Network TikTok. This is certainly a net positive for the Cardinals. And it's just like a, a series of events that was kind of unexpected, but you, you got to feel good as a Louisville fan because Scott Satterfield was in this like interesting crossroad. He was not going to get fired, but you were also feeling very underwhelmed by him. And then Brom comes in, brings in a new energy. I think he's a slightly better coach. He has a better track record. Won eight and nine games over the past two years at Purdue in the Big Ten, a much better conference. He was in the Big Ten championship this year. He's going to have a lot of passion in his alma mater. Now, it, I, I talked about you know the, the past year how this seems very similar to like what happened at Miami where Manny Diaz wasn't doing a horrible job, then Mario Cristobal comes in, everything seems better, takes an immediate step back in reality. So maybe we'll, we'll see that. But I I don't know. Are, are you thinking the same thing, Ben? Like, you got to feel good as a Louisville fan with this whole sequence of events. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the best of both worlds. I think Satterfield was just sort of done with being Louisville's head coach. And honestly, I can't blame him. I don't think – either side ever really embraced the other. So getting out while he could, and then the Louisville doesn't have to pay the buyout if they did want to fire him. You know what it reminds me of? You mentioned Miami, but I'm going to go with a basketball analogy. Shaka Smart moving from Texas to Marquette and then Texas going and hiring Chris Beard is very, very similar given that Shaka was sort of, he was like in this weird situation again where he wasn't doing bad, but he... Texas fans weren't happy with the performance. He wanted to go back to somewhere he was more comfortable with. And then Texas goes and hires someone who is uh, whose Texas is a, their alma mater in Chris Beard. Louisville hires someone um, who's an alumni in Jeff Brom there as well. Very similar, in my opinion. I thought I just thought that was interesting. But Jeff Brom's a great hire. He almost got hired when they hired Satterfield as well. I think that this probably couldn't have gone much better for um, for Louisville. And I will mention that Pierce Clarkson, their uh, recruiting uh, gem, if you will, did mention that he was coming to Louisville last night, regardless of the Braum transfer, or regardless of the Braum hire. So that's good news there as well. They have their quarterback in the future too. And you know what the best part of all of this is? The Fenway Bowl is between the Louisville Cardinals and the Cincinnati Bearcats. That is just, I mean, I, everything's coming full circle, right? You're going to have uh, – what, what, what is Scott Satterfield even going to be doing with – like he's not going to be coaching either team, right? No, but did you see that um, the Fenway Bowl has both sidelines on one side since it's a baseball field? So he could yes. have both teams if he wanted to and just run, <laughs> run, in, between the side, run in between the teams. But yeah. um, no, I have no idea what to make of this bowl game. Who's going to be motivated? Is it going to be Louisville that wants to beat where the new coach is going? Is it going to be Cincinnati who wants I, who wants to beat a power like power conference program because they're technically not a power conference program yet, or their coach just left? I don't I don't know what to make of this in the least, to be honest. What do you think, Dan? 
Yeah. All right. So yeah, this is also an 11 a.m. game, which like it's it's just weird in Boston in December. In Boston. It just it just sounds miserable to be honest. Like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look. All right. Let's give the background here. Cincinnati nine and three with close losses to Arkansas, UCF, and Tulane. They also have no signature wins, so this is like a very like meh Cincinnati team. But you know their, their starter was Ben Bryant for a majority of the year. He's out with a foot injury. It'll be the young Evan Prater. It seems like since he's definitely a defense first team like Louisville, they're very good up front, right? So this is going to be a battle. I mean, to say that cliche, it's going to be a battle in the trenches. Like you know. Both teams, I think their strengths are their defensive lines. What do I make of this? What's my prediction? I mean, I, I think Louisville might be a little bit more motivated, but I, it's not even that's not even the reason I'm going to say this. I just think Louisville wins and covers because the young quarterback for Cincinnati, Evan Prater, was going to have a very difficult time against a very prolific Louisville defensive front. They have a lot of defensive playmakers, Louisville, that is. Yasir Abdullah, Yaya Diaby specifically in the front seven. And then Jarvis Brownlee in the back end has really found new life. The old Florida State DB now at Louisville. Louisville is thin at running back and will be starting Brock Dolman at quarterback. So I don't think they score too many points either, but I think they win a game in like the low 20s. I'm going to go with Louisville wins. Louisville covers that their favorite one and a half at this moment. Yeah, I agree with you. I it's just it comes down to the quarterback play. Who do you trust more? I trust at this point, Brock Doman has shown me more than Evan Prater has um in terms of being able to at least run an offense. Exactly. So might as well go with the more experienced quarterback at this point. All right. And then just zooming back out a little bit because you know we've talked about just the chaos that has gone on in the college football world. But we also talked about before the year how the ACC has just – they're they're great with their quarterbacks. Like this is, this is going to be the year of the quarterbacks in the ACC. We have like four, five of the top ten in the country. This is incredible. And now basically everybody's in the transfer portal. DJ Uyungule, Brennan Armstrong, Devin Leary, Jeff Sims, Keaton Slovis – um, Phil Dracovic. Phil, yeah, Phil Dracovic. He's now at Pitt, so I, we can talk about that. Phil Dracovic joins his old offensive coordinator, Signetti. I feel, I don't know, I feel pretty neutral about the transition <laughs> from Slovis to Dracovic. I feel like a lot of them, they're, they kind of have like similar issues. Maybe a slight positive, but I don't think this really changes the trajectory of Pitt. And in, in my notes for the show, I wrote, okay, question mark. Like nothing, I don't know. If you're Jakovic, I guess you want to get out of a bad situation in Boston College, but it's not like you're going into this offensive juggernaut with Pitt. Um, and you're on the ball. I don't know. This is fine. Jakovic will just have a have a Keaton Slim this year, and that'll be and that'll be good. And they'll go seven and five and make a bowl game, and everyone will be neutral. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're they're very similar. I mean, I think Slovis might have a better arm. Jacobic might be a better runner, but like overall, they're, they're pretty similar in caliber. Uh, Brian Armstrong might be going to NC State. That has caught a lot of traction, not official yet. We talked about that. What else? So DJ like things were just not working out with him. Things were not working out with Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. I think 
him and Key just weren't hitting it off. That that's that's really the impression I get. Devin Leary would just would not function in the Robert and I system, in my opinion. I don't know where Slovis is going either, but he what just wasn't getting it done. And what what do, what do we make of all these ACC quarterbacks in the portal? You think any of them could return to any of these ACC schools? As into the school that they entered the transfer portal from? No, just like another ACC school. Yeah, so I think Armstrong is a pretty obvious one here. I think I, I'd imagine Keaton Slovis probably just wants to go back to the West Coast. That would be my guess. He's spent his first three years at USC. I believe he's from California as well. I don't see why he's or Arizona maybe. Um, I don't see why he would want to be out in pit for for any longer there. For Devin Leary, I don't know what to make of Devin Leary because of the injury. I don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back. Maybe he just wants a complete refresh. I, I don't know. I don't know about any of these. I'm not a recruiting expert. I'm not a transfer portal expert. So it's hard to make assumptions about where all these guys are going to go. I would imagine DJ, you might want to go West as well. He also has a really talented brother um, who's currently a core. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Five-star edge rusher. Yeah. So, but I believe they're going to different places. I've heard a little bit of buzz about UCLA for DJ, which I think would make sense with Jordan Thompson Robinson leaving. But again, I don't know much. I don't have any inside, inside information. Really? I just, I need the dust to settle so I can form an opinion on all of these quarterbacks. Cause I think the destination matters a lot in determining how successful they might be next year. Oh, for sure. Our offensive coordinators are super important in college football, as well as like the, the cast that you have around you. I mean, the transfer portal window is like a new concept sort of this year. It used to just be like a open-ended transfer portal 365 days a year. Now it's more like it, they, they had a difference. So there's going to be multiple windows. The first window opened last Monday, and that was the first time people could enter their name in the transfer portal. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people entered. And it'll close on January 18th, and there'll be another window. It's I, – I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about like the whole transfer portal window. I don't know if that's the way to – kind of organize this chaos but do you have any opinions on that i get it from a logistical perspective but also a lot of coaches are being like well does it really open like i feel like what you're going to see a lot of a lot of people enter the transfer portal on monday and commit to a school on tuesday and at that point like are we kidding ourselves if we say that they weren't talking to schools in November or in October, even like they made this decision a while ago, you might as well just like not do the portal windows at all. Um, I don't even know if it helps compliance officers to have it all put together in, you know, 45 days. I think the transfer portal, it makes college football more interesting. I it's don't a- know how to do it correctly. And that's the issue. Well, here's, here's the thing is that I mean, there's so many different, like, new things in college sports that didn't exist so much 10 years ago. There's, there's mega conferences forming in conference realignment. There's NIL, there's the transfer portal. There's, there's a lot of stuff, but like the, the dynamic of college football and college sports in general is like, you have a lot of adults who have been in the industry for decades, trying to really just convince kids that, you know, they're young and experienced kids to come to your school. They're not necessarily going to make the most well-informed, educated decision. 
And that's why that's why I like the transfer portal because it gives the athletes just as much leverage as the coaches have. But I mean, ideally, like the 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 coaches would just you know be less deceiving and allow the kids to make the right decision. But that's just obviously an unrealistic scenario. So that that's kind of why I like the transfer portal because, like I said, it, it gives the kids as much leverage as the adults who have been there for decades and know exactly what they're doing. But I mean, that's all I have to say. We're, we, I bet you we'll be recording next week and have a lot more transfer portal news, maybe even a little bit more coaching carousel news. That's just how it is in the early off season and everything happens so fast, but there'll be a few storylines. I'm sure that we'll have to touch on. Absolutely. And really can't wait to see what happens. Um, I think it's been a super interesting start of the off season for the ACC in particular, and can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, so like I said, we'll be back next Sunday. We'll touch on everything that happened in basketball, more bowl games to preview. We'll recap the Fenway Bowl. That's what it will be now from now on, just an overarching ACC episode every Sunday. And we'll have, like I said, a lot of micro content throughout the week. Follow us on Twitter at ACC Takeover. Follow us on TikTok, Takeover Sports Network, and – yeah, we'll keep you informed. We're making some big-time moves here at TakeOver Sports Network to give you guys the content you need and love. So appreciate you guys for watching and listening. Once again, leave us a like if you're watching on YouTube and subscribe to our channel. If you're watching, if you're listening on uh, Apple or Spotify, subscribe there as well. Leave, even leave us a review. That will be awesome. But once again, appreciate your support. Thanks for watching and listening, and take care.